0: Before we read the scripture this morning, I want to commend to you, each of you, I want to commend this little book. It's a wonderful little book by Tim Keller. It is entitled, The Prodigal God. It is his exposition of the parable we call, The Prodigal Son. Let me tell you, this is easy to read, easily acceptable, accessible. It's a beautiful little book. And If you're someone who is new to the Christian faith, or if you're someone you're not even sure if you are a true believer in Christ, this is a great book to pick up and read, because as it says, it it is a recovering of the heart of the Christian faith in very simple terms, but very clear terms. If you're someone who has been following Christ for 75 years, and are a great Bible student, this is a great little book for you because I feel sure you're going to see insights, gain insights from this um, that perhaps you've never seen before. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to order this book, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. You can order it tomorrow. It'll be at your house on Wednesday, and you can have it finished by next Sunday, right? But, But what I want you to do is to order two. I want you to order two And I want you to give the other one to a friend of yours who's not attending church or doesn't consider himself or herself to be a Christian or has questions about the Christian faith or is struggling in life. I want to commend that to you. The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Order two, one for yourself and one for someone who would benefit by reading it. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who for our sake and for our salvation came down from heaven to seek and to save the lost. We ask now in his name for the promised Holy Spirit to come and to refresh us again through the wonderful good news of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to read Luke chapter 15 in its entirety, three parables. This is the word of God, the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, and glory forever. Amen. My car keys, my wallet, my glasses, I tend to lose things. And there is always great rejoicing when Catherine finds whatever I've lost. Today's passage, Luke 15, contains three of Jesus' most well-known and most beloved parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy, otherwise more popularly known to us as the prodigal son. Although, as we shall see, that parable is about a lot more than the wayward son. Each of these parables is a parable of personal, individual salvation. There's a common thread, something is lost and then it is found. Let's jump in, but let's jump in right at verse 1 because, as always, the context is important. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So first of all, make a note. There are two distinct groups of people. We might call them uh, the good guys and the bad guys, both of which are going to hear these parables. Now, one group is identified as the tax collectors and sinners. Those are the bad guys. The tax collectors were traitors to their own Jewish people. They had sold their souls to the system for their own personal profit by extorting exorbitant taxes from their own Jewish people to pay to Rome, which occupied and oppressed Israel. But that's how they made their living. gouging their own jewish people skimming off the top for their own profit and as agents of the roman gentile dogs they were therefore ceremonially unclean and excommunicated from the temple cut off from the jewish community they were despicable characters lowlifes and the sinners well by using the word sinners here, Luke is not referring, you know, to your good old run-of-the-mill everyday sinners. As we say, we're all sinners. Oh, no. These people were called sinners because they had earned their diploma and gotten the t-shirt. Now, the other group is identified as the Pharisees and scribes. These are the good guys. Conservative. Conservative traditional, well-educated, socially acceptable, responsible, religious, you know, the kind of people we'd like to join our church, right? And their religious and moral sensibilities were highly offended by the fact that Jesus welcomed this company of trash. That was drawing near to hear him. It was rather scandalous. Why would he associate with them? He goes into their houses and eats with them. Why would anyone do that? Why would he sully his own reputation by hanging out with that riff raff? That introduction in verses one and two is very important. The scribes and Pharisees grumbled saying, "This man receives sinners." and eats with them. So, he told them, the scribes and Pharisees, this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, while it is true That parables use illustrations from daily life in first century Palestine, it is also true that the parables can employ humor, hyperbole, satire, and surprises. And that may be the case here. It's a debatable point, but some scholars actually question actually whether a shepherd with only a hundred sheep, which is a very small flock, and he would not have had an assistant, a helper. Some scholars actually question whether a shepherd would actually have left the 99 in the open field, exposing them to all kind of danger to go to look for just one lost sheep. So, You know, if this is a silly proposition, then the scribes and Pharisees would have been rolling their eyes about this very foolish shepherd. No shepherd I know would do that. But then Jesus continues. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. (laughs) Really? I mean, really? Come on. Would a real shepherd really do that? He's lost one of his sheep. Stupid animal. He takes a risk. He leaves 99 in the open country, treks out into the desert wilderness, searches high and low all day, comes back sweating, worn out, still has to herd his flock into safekeeping for the night. And then he calls his friends and tells them about what a great day he has had and how happy he is and asks them all to come over for supper and celebrate. Really? That's about the most foolish thing those scribes and Pharisees had heard in a long time. And you could just see them smirking. Sure, what's your point? And Jesus said, just so I I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And now you can hear them muttering under their breath. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So Jesus continued. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now maybe this is a little bit more likely. I know that when a dime falls out of my pocket down in between the seat and console of my truck, why do they make it so impossible to slip your hand down there to get whatever you've dropped. I get a flashlight, I crawl down onto the back floorboard, dig around under the driver's seat until I find the dime. And then I call everyone in the neighborhood and say, Come over and rejoice with me, for I found the dime on the floorboard of my truck. No, I don't. And I'm not so sure that the woman in the first century, Palestine, would call together her friends and neighbors for a party just because she found one of her silver coins. Now, please understand, I am not contradicting Jesus. I am not saying that Jesus was wrong. I am not saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. Remember, the parables are stories. They can have humor, hyperbole, satire, and surprises, all to make Jesus' point. So, again, it may be that Jesus is using an illustration which, on the face of it, appears very foolish. No woman would really call her friends and neighbors and ask them to come over and celebrate because she found one lost coin. That's foolish. Jesus said, just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so you see those scribes and Pharisees, the good guys, you know, might have thought that that statement, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents was fairly foolish too. They thought that it was foolish, even scandalous that Jesus received tax collectors and sinners and ate with them. And with these parables, Jesus threw it right back in their face. While heaven is rejoicing, you are grumbling. Before we move on to the third parable, let's pause and think some more about these first two. In each, something was lost and then it was found it had to be found lost things don't unlose themselves the lost sheep was helpless and hopeless the lost coin well as an inanimate object was like something dead it couldn't even make a sound but both the shepherd and the woman of the parables put aside what they were doing to seek and to save that which was lost Each of these parables is very much a picture of the sovereign grace of God in Jesus Christ who put aside His heavenly glory in order to seek and to save that which was lost, that one which was lost. These are parables of individual personal salvation. The God who calls the billions of stars by name calls you by name as well. And therefore, in each of these parables, there is another common point. It is the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Those are Jesus' words. These parables of salvation are parables of joy. They reveal the celebration of heaven over the salvation of a single individual. They reveal, if we may say it this way, they reveal the heart and disposition of God himself toward lost sinners. There is no begrudging attitude. There is no grumbling in heaven. There is no resentment or the least hesitation among the angels or the redeemed souls or God himself toward the sinner who repents. God does not begrudgingly save the sinner who repents. God does not confront that repentant sinner with a scowling face. These parables reveal that it brings God great delight, joy, to save sinners by His grace. That's what He does for His own glory. And when one sinner repents and receives that saving grace, there is a celebration in heaven. These two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, build up to the climactic third parable, which is all the more powerful because it involves a lost son, or shall we say, lost sons. Now remember, there were two groups of people listening to this parable. The bad guys, the tax collectors and sinners, and the good guys, the Pharisees and scribes. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, the younger son said to his father, I wish you were dead. I want what's coming to me, and I want it now. Believe it or not, the father granted his request. He divided his property, land, livestock, everything between them. The older son got two-thirds. The younger son got one-third because that was the deal in that ancient culture. So the younger son took his third of his father's property and sold it off for cash. And now that third of the property belonged to somebody else. (laughs) And he took the cash and he hit the road for a far country which refers not only to physical geography but also spiritual geography. As the saying goes he was not in a good place. He squandered his inheritance in reckless living He actually became like one of those tax collectors and sinners, worthless 'er ne'er-do-well, living among unclean Gentiles, stooping so low as to feed their pigs. Not a good job for a Jewish boy. And finding himself so poor that he wished he could eat the pigs' pods. I guess we could say that he got what was coming to him. What do you say? But, Jesus said, When he came to himself, when he came to his senses and realized what a mess he had made of his life, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? and I'm starving to death. I will rise, I will go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he had a plan and he had a speech. He was desperate now, desperate enough to go home, acknowledge what he'd done, be humiliated, live as a hired hand, and no longer truly as a son. He had squandered, he had lost his inheritance. He was now a nobody. He was, in fact, dead in relation to his family. Now, in the first two parables, we heard Jesus speak about the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But in this parable, we get to see a little bit of what that looks like. He came to himself. That means he finally saw himself and what he had done in the light of true reality. He saw himself for what he was. That, by the way, is impossible for us to do, except by the grace of God and the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't only that he had made a train wreck out of his life to his own personal detriment. He had despised and dishonored his good and gracious and generous father. He had brought shame on the name of his good and gracious and generous father. He had brought shame on his family. And as he had prepared to say, his, to say in his speech, he had sinned against heaven, that is against God, against the infinite and eternal Holy One. And, and therefore, in his own mind, he was prepared to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He was fully prepared to be disowned by his father with no more privileges or blessings as a son. And he was willing to acknowledge that that was what he deserved, and that his father would be completely just to disown him. The best he could hope for was that his father would hire him, make him a hired hand, so that he could make some meager living for himself and then begin to pay back what he had squandered. Now, remember, the parables are stories, and this is just one illustration of repentance. But we can see in it a broken humility, an acknowledgment of guilt and responsibility without excuse, a willingness to suffer the consequences, a desperate helplessness, a painful remorse, a desperate expression of need, and a plea for undeserved mercy with no excuses and no explanations. So that was his plan. He would go home and hope to be received no longer as a son, but as a hired hand. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then the son began his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he didn't get to finish his speech. The father immediately said to his servants, bring the best robe, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf, let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now this is a parable a story, and it's intended to make some big points. God is more ready and willing to forgive your sins than you are to confess them. God is not a begrudging God. If you confess your sins... Sincerely and turn away from them, He will forgive you and receive you. God is not begrudging with His grace. He is not stingy with His mercy to the poor and humble and broken sinner seeking forgiveness. God will never say, I told you so. And here's another thing even when the lost boy came home with a contrite heart he still didn't get it exactly right he thought his best hope was to become a hired hand he assumed that he would have to work his way back into the good graces of his father and he figured that he was going to have to pay back everything that he had squandered in order to make everything right again So his plan was to work his way back into his father's good graces. That was his plan. But his father would have nothing of it. He wouldn't even let his son finish his speech. Look, the father's welcome was not, was not on the basis of the son's proposed terms to become a hired hand who would work himself back Into good graces. Oh no. The father welcomed, received, embraced his son on his own terms, the terms of free grace and undeserved mercy. And mercy means not getting what you deserve. And grace means getting what you don't deserve. He gave him the ring and the robe of sonship. Full restoration. He killed the fattened calf, which was reserved only for the most special and infrequent celebrations. Brothers and sisters, this is a story which gives us a picture of the free grace and lavish, undeserved mercy. Shall we call it prodigal grace? Prodigal mercy of a prodigal God toward all those who come home to him empty, poor, hungry, broken. There's something else here that we might not realize. might be foolish to suppose a shepherd would really leave 99 in search of one and would the woman really call the whole neighborhood to celebrate the finding of a lost coin maybe maybe not but would a well-established respectable Jewish patriarch of the first century gather up his robe and run down the road to greet his shameful son no No respectable first century Jewish patriarch would ever do anything so humiliating as that. And you can bet that the scribes and Pharisees were rolling their eyes when Jesus said, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Uh Uh-uh. Respectable first century Jewish men just didn't do that. It would be humiliating, foolish, and scandalous to do something like that. It was beneath their dignity. But of course, you see, that is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God the Father, the God of love, has come running to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God humbled Himself, humiliated Himself, and came down to us to seek and to save the lost, and in so doing, He plunged Himself into the humiliation and shame and scandal and foolishness of death on a cross to pay the infinite debt debt of our reckless living and to suffer the penalty for our personal rebellion against our good and gracious and generous Father. What does the gospel of Jesus Christ look like? (laughs) It looks like the scandal of a Jewish father making a fool of himself, running down the road to embrace the boy who had spit in his face and wished him dead. We have no idea of the incomprehensible love of the Father which has been revealed to us through the gift of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But this is the amazing love of God. That we who are unworthy to be called his sons and daughters are received and restored as the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ alone is the one who has paid back everything that we have squandered. Jesus Christ is the one alone who has paid back everything that we have squandered that's the gospel that's the good news of our salvation through Jesus Christ but it was not and it is not good news to everybody In the parable, the elder brother, dutiful, responsible, respectable, probably religious in a check the box kind of way, kept his nose clean, bitterly resented the prodigal grace and the prodigal mercy of his good and gracious and generous father i regret that time does not allow me today to preach part two of this parable in its entirety but you can read the elder brother's speech and it's a good one he was the good boy and he didn't have a clue He thought he had to work slavishly to be in the good graces of his good and gracious and generous father. He thought that he was earning his inheritance. He did not really know his father. And the fact is, as we can see from his revealed attitude, he was as much at odds with his father as was his wayward brother. He was, in his own eyes, one of those righteous persons who need no repentance. And so, he wouldn't come to the party. Just like those Pharisees and scribes, the good guys who wouldn't come to the party, the celebration of salvation through Jesus Christ. They just grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, you can be lost. In two ways. You can be lost in reckless living. You can be lost in self righteousness. You can be lost in sin. And you can be lost in goodness either case, you're a long, long way from home. The way home is the same now as it was then. Repentance from your reckless sin or repentance From your self-righteous goodness through faith in Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we are astounded at your amazing grace and a love beyond our comprehension. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work your word into our hearts and renew our minds so that we may know, believe, and rejoice in the free offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.